cutting edge of ministry here at Springbrook. We are. Pastor Dan makes sure always we're on the cutting edge. This morning I walked into the men's washroom and and uh, when I went to wash my hands, the towel maker spit the towel out of the container. And I thought that wasn't there last week. It doesn't take him long to get on the memo and get new technological stuff for the church. That was that was quite shocking. And then Pastor Matt, our new youth pastor, went in and I saw him trying to grab for towels and didn't realize you just waved your hand. It's like witchcraft. It just comes right out. I don't get it. This morning we sang that beautiful song, Holy Spirit, You Are Welcome Here. Aren't you glad this morning the Holy Ghost is here with us? And we're grateful that we can worship Him. This is the second part of a series of messages uh, concerning the future. Last week uh, it was, we don't know who holds the... No, see, I did it again. Uh, see, when I'm gone a week, it all, loses, it all leaves my memory. It's not just you, it's the pastor too. Uh, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Isn't that true? And uh, last week we looked at that issue of who holds the future. And uh, I'm sure there's somebody here this morning as we think about Israel and Israel being at the center of God's plan uh, for the world. And if you paid attention, I'm not a great politician or paying attention to all that stuff, but I did watch the RNC speech of Mike Pence, the governor of Indiana. Did you happen to notice that when he mentioned Israel, that he got the largest applause? And we're so grateful, at least we have some politicians, that understand the importance of Israel at the center of God's plan. And last Sunday, if you were here, uh, we talked about three things that could happen. Uh, one is, if you see the bricks of the temple being laid down in Jerusalem, that you know the end is near because we have to have a temple. And then the second thing is uh, that Russia, the nation of Russia, may, not may, is going to invade Israel at some time in the future. And then the third point was that the Antichrist will arise and uh, make peace uh, for the nation of Israel at the beginning of the tribulation period. And those are three great events in God's history and agenda for the world. And then this morning we're going to look at what does the future hold? What are some of the signposts of what are going to happen at the end of the age? And we're so grateful that even Jesus, in speaking about the end of the age said, And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. And then in verse 15, Then when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let who, him who is on the housetop not go down, to get the things that are out in his house, and let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. So Jesus himself giving us an indication of who Daniel was in terms of declaring uh, the things that are going to happen in our world. Well, great things are happening in Converge. And you see the next slide. Uh, you see our president, Scott Rideout. I think he's coming somewhere, sometime. It's spooky to be up here and somebody else is in control of your destiny. Uh, but there he is. 
And uh, last week I told you about Scott Rideout. So many great things happening in Converge. And you know Pastor Rich, our own Pastor Rich, is over in India, Nepal right now. And uh, the miracle that is happening in Converge with churches being planted in Nepal, that at one point the hardest nation in the world to reach with the gospel. And we're so grateful that we're seeing churches planted, men and women raised up for the gospel. Uh, being willing to go and suffer persecution for the sake of Christ. We're so grateful. And then Steve Schultz, uh, my president, and uh, one of the things, uh, last Sunday after the worship service, I met with Pastor Dan. We went to eat at the Golden Corral. That man can pack it away. (laughs) We were there till (laughs) 3.30. Can you imagine? And i got to admit, I ate as much as he did. And uh, we had fun. But uh, aren't you glad that you're serving in a church and worshiping in a church where we take care of our pastor? And, and uh, Daniel is, Dan, Pastor Dan has been a faithful preacher and minister of the Word of God. One of the things that Steve Schultz has done for 50 years is help us with our pension plan for us pastors. And we're so grateful that uh, Converge has taken that as a priority. And then the Cornerstone Fund. And last week I said... 3% for three years. I didn't realize uh, the avalanche of uh, uh, activity we were going to have at our office. People ringing the phones off the hook and uh, all the people working there trying to get the money to come in so that we can loan it out to churches like Cor- uh, Springbrook so that we can see the gospel go forward. We have more churches in our queue uh, to get a loan than we've ever had in the history of the conference. When I started uh, Six or seven years ago, we had $150 million, and now we've got $244 million to loan out. And uh, we get to pay you that interest rate, and we loan it out to churches, and then we give a gift of $1.6 million this year for the missions program so our missionaries can do what it is that God has called them to do. We're grateful for it. And then the next slide, we see, uh, oh, sorry, two slides. The, The scripture that we want to preach out this morning Still following. Uh, Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision pertains to the days yet future. 2,500 years ago, Daniel, uh, given a vision by God and sent a messenger, Gabriel, to let him know that the future is in the hands of God. Your future and my future are in the hands of God. And we're so grateful this morning that we have that message. And that message in verse 14 is a message for you and I today that are alive and well on planet Earth. (laughs) I had the great privilege to go to Bible school at the great missionary school in in Three Hills, Alberta, Canada. Ellie Maxwell, a Kansas boy, in 1920 got a vision from God as he lived in Kansas. And he was told to get up and go to Alberta. Alberta, Canada, where he planted Moody of the North, Prairie Bible Institute. If you've never read his book, uh, it's the, still today the number one bestseller that Moody Press has ever printed. It's called Born Crucified. And you take that book and you read it. I can tell you this morning, I've read it more than 40 times. Uh, uh, at least once a year I try to read that book. Why? 
because uh, the principles uh, encapsulated in Paul's testimony to the Galatians in Galatians 2 and 20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. Uh, and Ellie Maxwell writing that, got a vision in his heart and his mind to produce disciplined soldiers for Christ. And I think almost 3,000 missionaries of the cross today are serving on mission fields of our world because of the vision that God gave Ellie Maxwell. Well, that Christmas, while I was there, we didn't have money to go home to Ontario, so Linda and I and Aaron stayed at Prairie Bible Institute, and I told Linda, each day for 30 days I'm going to go into the library and I'm going to read every single book on the second coming of Christ. And that's what I did. And I had that passion put into my heart and mind by Hilda and Hilton Pride. Uh, that was Linda's aunt and uncle. I, I, can, I can remember that first Sunday after church in Kitchener, Ontario, being invited to go over to have dinner with them. And there was roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, potatoes, and gravy. <laughs> no wonder I like the Golden Corral so much. <laughs> and there, Hilton and Hilda would feed us. And then, after dinner, Uncle Hilton would say, Lou, come on in the sitting room. And we'd go and sit in the sitting room. And uh, he would reach into a cabinet, and he'd pull out a book about this thick, a folio, and he'd lay it open. And for the next two or three hours we would discuss and learn what he knew from the Bible and from newspaper clippings and articles of things about the second coming of Jesus because he believed it with his whole heart. And he gave me that passion uh, to be able to believe that not only did our King come the first time to die upon the cross of Calvary, but that He's coming the second time to claim His bride and that you and I will be caught up together with Him in the heavens and there we'll live with Him forever. And that's why Jesus said, You believe in God? Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And Jesus is doing that right now. In His session with God the Father at His right hand, He's preparing a place for you and for me. Somebody say amen. Boy, come on preacher, preach it because nobody else here is with me. Huh? i got to keep going. Huh? And Jesus, He said, do not let your heart be troubled. You don't have to worry about what's going on politically in this country. God has this country in His hands. He has each and every one of us. Huh? Together, He has a plan. And this morning, three simple points right out of the Bible. The first one is the agenda. The agenda. Look what it says right up there on the screen. It's like a game show, right? Da, 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 da. There it is. Now I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people. The Jews are at the center of what is happening. And uh, you see it so very clearly in the Scriptures. The great prophecy of Daniel. The prophecy of the 70 weeks. The 70 weeks. And it's got application for us this morning. And if you have your Bibles, turn just back one page. Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, 
to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And you notice in those verses, in verse 27, uh, that Gabriel gives to Daniel uh, an agenda. And it's so clear. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city. To what, what first? To finish the transgression. What's he talking about? He's talking about 70 Sabbaths that both Israel and Judah had violated. They didn't observe them. It was a transgression against the grace of God. And they weren't willing to worship God and to fall down before Him for 70 Sabbaths. Seven times 70. 490 years. And they violated God's Word. And so... Daniel is told there's got to come a time when the transgressions are finished. And what happened? God raised up Assyria. God raised up Babylon. Took them into captivity and said, if you won't worship me under grace, then you'll worship me under oppression. And there they were. And Daniel, in the midst of this time, begins to realize that God has a plan to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity. And how was that atonement made? It was made by the death of the Messiah. The Christ, Jesus, died upon the cross of Calvary, on the hill of Calvary. And there when He died, His blood was spilt so that there might be an end to all sin. Sin might be propitiated, covered. And then the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus, entering into the holy place there in heaven, before the altar of God, sprinkles His blood there on that altar so that sacrifice, satisfaction might be made. And Israel uh, uh, needed to know the truth of the Gospel. And it's so clear right there. And what's the further agenda? To bring in everlasting righteousness. Don't you love it this morning? That Jesus Christ, when He died upon the cross of Calvary, that you and I might have His righteousness. We've been dressed in His righteousness. We've been made clean. John says it a little differently in his little epistle. He says, if we confess our sins, faithful and just is He to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then Paul, in in setting the agenda for his own ministry, uh, tells people, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Isn't that true? Uh, To the Jew first! And then to the Gentile, to you and I. Uh, I've only, I pastored three churches, but I've only had one Jewish person in any of my churches. And uh, she was a doctor, a wonderful woman. I, whenever she spoke, I paid attention and listened. Because here is a woman that took the righteousness of Christ and, and put it over her sin. And she, her, she lived her life for the righteousness of Christ. 
when she talked about the gospel, it was something marvelous. It was something personal. It was something that was, it was just a, an amazing transformation. I, I always remember the story she told me. She had two little children, and uh, she said her mother would come from Boston. These were Jewish people, and uh, she had married a Gentile. She got saved in university through a uh, through a uh, one of those programs, the uh, Campus Crusade, or one of those, and and she began to realize that she needed Christ in her life as a Jew. <laughs> and then and then she married this other doctor, and then they had two children, and they were our target in Minot, North Dakota, was brand new, and they put the girl, they put the little boy and the little girl in the the cart, and Grandma, the Jewish lady, would push the cart, and there they'd be going down, and the little boy would break out into song. Jesus loved me, this I know. <laughs> For the Bible tells me so. And there'd be the Jewish mom trying to get her to be quiet. <laughs> the grandmother, I should say. And the, and the mom didn't know what to do. The doctor, the, the, the person that attended my church. And, and I used to say, oh man, I wish we had that kind of courage. I wish we were all like little children that would be able to acknowledge the agenda of God. The agenda is this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We don't need to be ashamed. We need to acknowledge our need of the Christ today in your life and in my life. And there, Daniel has this vision. Seventy weeks. And then it says, oh, my Bible changed pages here on me. And there we go. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And this is what Daniel is doing to seal up the prophetic message of what God is trying to do in, in, in regards to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Take a look at the next slide. Uh, the 483 years in the Jewish and Gregorian calendar. The Jewish calendar, when you take all the weeks, multiply them by the days, ends up being 173,880 days. And then you take the Gregorian calendar, that's our calendar that we use now, and what happens? Uh, you do the multiplication, you add up, and it's 173,880 days. You, gotta, you have to make provision for the leap years. That gets us to March, March the 5th, the entry of the king into the kingdom. And then the 30th day, 24 days later, he's crucified on the cross of Calvary. Right to the very day! Uh, the, the seven years that Nehemiah had to finish... Jerusalem and the walls and protect the city, those first seven years, and then 63 additional years until the Messiah would be cut off, and now we're left with one week. Only one week. There's three parts, seven sevens, rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem to 395 B.C., and then 62 sevens, 40, 434 years leading up to the triumphal entry of Christ, and then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah would be cut off. Not within the first week. There's one whole week left. That seven-year period. Where is it? Well, we don't know where it is because we're not in the midst of it. There's one seven left, but an interval between the 69th and the 70th week. And it's fulfilled in Matthew 16:18. Jesus Himself said, not, not Matthew, but Jesus. Matthew quoting Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You and I are in that period between 
Uh, the 69th week in the 70th. It's called the Gentile Church Age. God is using you and me to help build His kingdom. But I tell you the truth, uh, by the authority of God's Word, He is coming again. He is coming soon. Uh, before we know it, that last week will be upon us, and you and I will be caught up to be with Jesus in the air, and that we might have an eternity with Him. Oh boy, did I have a great week. I never knew what God was going to do. There I was at, at, at Wing Park in Elgin, the golf course. Oh yeah, pastor's golf. <laughs> and there I was. They put me with a stranger. His name was Dan. Never saw the man before in my life. After a first couple of holes, he finally says, wait a minute, mister, and I, and I got to tell you something. When I'm preaching, I preach. Huh? Huh? You've, you've heard me enough. When I'm preaching, I keep my eyes on the Word of God. And when I'm golfing, I keep my eyes on that ball. <laughs> and the guy looked at me and he said, Sir, are you a believer? And I looked at him and he said, Because every time you hit a miss, when you have a missed shot, uh, all I ever hear out of your, your, your mouth is, Blessed be the Lord, praise God. Huh? You must be a believer. I said, Not only am I a believer, I'm a pastor. <laughs> uh, and by the time we got over to the ninth hole, this is what he said to me. My son is in prison. He's a homosexual. He's dealing with homosexual urges. He's an alcoholic. The reason he went to prison was he assaulted me three times. I looked at the poor dad with tears in his eyes. He said he... He didn't have much effect on assaulting me, he says, because I'm the Illinois state champion of wrestling. <laughs> he knew how to defend himself. I kind of laughed. But he said, there he is in prison. He said, can you help me? I said, Dad, listen to me. I was a prison guard in the prison where two of my brothers served time. I was a member of the Royal Canadian Mount of Police. I put people in prison. I was the only ordained judge in all of Canada. I sentenced people to prison. I know about prison. And I want to tell you, when I'm in prison, all of those things that I've done in prison, I'll tell you what the greatest thing is when I get in, go to preach about to people in prison. I just love to go into prisons and tell them about Jesus, the One who has set us free. He, he, we don't have to be captive to sin. There isn't anything that has to happen in our lives in prison. And the sad thing is what I've learned is most people are in prisons of their own making. And you and I need to be set free, delivered by the grace and power and blood of Christ. And when that happens, I tell you, it's an amazing thing. There I was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota on a Thursday night uh, in the federal prison. They asked me to preach fire and rain out of Acts chapter 5. I told the pastor, I'm going to tell him that Jesus is our prince. I'm going to tell him that Jesus is our propitiation. I'm going to tell him that Jesus is our paraclete. Right out of the Scriptures. pastor said, they won't understand that. They're prisoners. I said, you watch me. <laughs> you just watch me. And I got up and told him that he's our prince, the king that came from heaven. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's our propitiation, a fancy word for covering. That Jesus covered your sin and my sin. When He died on the cross of Calvary, His blood was sprinkled so that you and I can be forgiven people. That His righteousness becomes our righteousness by faith. And before I could say another word, a man in an orange jumpsuit in the front row jumped up, threw up his hands, yelled out in a loud voice, I can't wait! I need Him now! <laughs> and I was smart enough to know that if He had that testimony, other men would. And 
four other men came forward to pray to receive Christ. And I went right on preaching. I told them that Jesus is our paraclete. That He came from heaven, went back to heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, our friend, to give us hope. And four North American Indian men prayed to receive Christ. Eight men that night. Why? Because Jesus has an agenda. He has an agenda for this church. He has an agenda for you and me this morning that we might represent Him in a way that will make a difference in people's lives. Huh? Uh, that we might see Him glorified, exalted, and magnified. <laughs> and there's coming a day when His agenda will be filled and fulfilled. And uh, that's point two. We see number two, the appointment. And Gabriel tells Daniel in the latter days. And brethren, you and I are living in the latter days. Your life and my life, we have the privilege. Jesus could come back today. And if He comes back today, 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bibles, just turn there. Mark it in your Bible uh, that in 1 Thessalonians we see the truth of God's Word. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the Word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him to meet Him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I can tell you categorically this morning, Baptists will be in heaven. Yeah, because it says right there, the dead in Christ shall rise first. <laughs> you heard me say this before, haven't you? Preaching in a church, man died and had a heart, had a heart attack and died. They carried out 75 people before they found the one that was dead. <laughs> lady came up to me after I said that one time and said, is that true? I said, no, lady, it was a joke. <laughs> but right there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you and I who are alive and remain will be caught up in heaven to be with Him. The question I have for you this morning is this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the day that Jesus will come and the clouds will part, the trumpet will sound, and you and I can be with Jesus forever and ever. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Canada. <laughs> I lived in Galt, Ontario, and then Kitchener, Ontario. I was a little boy, eight, nine years old. Whenever I'd get into a new community, I'd see the kids that are around, and then we'd go out into the street, and I'd say, let's play a game. And the first game Canadian kids want to play is hide-and-go-seek, right? <laughs> oh, hockey. Yeah, second game. Ha hockey first. I agree with that. And then... Hide-and-go-seek. How many played hide-and-go-seek as kids? Oh, man. I'm telling you, there's no better game. I was so committed to hide-and-go-seek that as a missionary, I went over to Africa, and the missionary kids, I had a meeting with them. They said, Dr. Petrie, can we play a game? I said, there's only one game to play, hide-and-go-seek. I, I have the reputation of being the greatest hide-and-go-seeker of all time. <laughs> and there we were in Canada. And you know how the game goes, don't you? You find a place... Uh, that's the home plate, and then one is it. You put your head on, and you start to count, and the other kids go and hide. 
And uh, this is how we did it in Canada. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Last night, the night before, 24 robbers at my door. I got up and let them in. Hit him in the head with a rolling pin. Are you ready? And one little stinking kid would say, I'm not ready yet. I can't find a place. I got no... And then you'd have to start all over again. You'd go to that tree and you'd say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ready? Huh? Huh? Last night, the night before, 24 robbers at my door. I got up and let them in. Hit them in the head with a rolling pin. Are you rolling? Same kid. No, no, no. And you'd have to do it again, do it again, do it again. And then finally you'd say, ready or not, here I come. Ready or not. Here I come. If you ain't ready, get ready. Because here I come. In Matthew 24, we read it so clearly in the Scriptures. Get ready. Jesus is coming. And if you're not ready, get ready. Because when He comes again, therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. The greatest privilege I had as serving as a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police was to dedicate my life in the service of the Queen of England. I'll never forget the promises I made in Toronto, Ontario, Canada in 1977 to pledge allegiance to the Queen, our Colonel-in-Chief. And then, to my surprise, in 1978, she came to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and I was selected to be in her guard. I had the opportunity to guard the Queen of England. And there she came out to Vagerville, Alberta, to dedicate the Pasanka. <laughs> Do you know what a Pasanka is? I didn't think so. <laughs> I have to tell Americans this all the time. A pasanka is a Ukrainian Easter egg. And that Easter egg was a wind vane dedicated to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Queen Elizabeth came and dedicated it. Then she went to Edmonton, Alberta for the British Commonwealth Games. I wasn't with her, uh, but I heard the story. As she was coming up in her car up Jasper Avenue, the main road in Edmonton, the Queen is coming. The Queen is coming. The Queen is coming. And all of a sudden, a young man in a hippie outfit jumped over the barricade, reached into his little bag, and pulled out the programs and started to throw brochures into the crowd. The King is coming! The King is coming! The King is coming! I just heard the trumpet sound, and now his face I see. The King is coming! The King is coming! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! He's coming for me! And the question is this morning, is He coming for you? You see, when He comes again, He's coming for His own. He'll catch up the bride of Christ, raptured to be with Him in heaven. And then we'll know that the end is here. And Daniel has sealed it up as a prophetic vision, gift from God. And it leads us to our third and final point, the appearance. For the vision pertains to the days yet future. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. Those days are upon us right now. The King could come 
this morning before I am done speaking. He could come right now. And in Revelation chapter 19, we see the great portion of God's Word. And I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so with it he may smite the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming today. God has an agenda. And it's for you and me to acknowledge Him today as the church of Jesus Christ and to allow Him to have His way with you this morning. That you and I might be prepared and ready for for having the King first place in our lives. Stephen Alford, the great New Testament scholar, said he is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. There is no second place with God. It is either first place or no place. And you and I, having Him this morning to fulfill that that agenda, to allow His appointment and to be prepared for His appearance this morning. There I was, a young pastor in Melville, Saskatchewan. I had the reputation of being the pastor that preaches about the second coming of Christ. The editor of the town newspaper came to me and said, Pastor Lou, could you write a series of four articles on the second coming of Jesus? I said, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. So I wrote them. I delivered them to him. And then we had a meeting of the pastors of the town where the editor was the guest speaker. As he came into the room, he came to me, never looked at anybody else, made a beeline right for me, and he said, Pastor Lou, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I apologize. He said, I'm so sorry. I've never done this before. I'm so sorry. I said, sir, sir. I said, what are you sorry about? He said, I made a mistake when I printed your articles. The title was, Be Alert for Christ's Second Coming. Be alert for Christ's Second Coming. He transposed two words. When he printed it in the article in the newspaper, he wrote, Be alert for Christ's coming second. Be alert for Christ's coming second. He said, but the good news is this. More people have called and said, who's coming first? (laughs) Who's coming first? Who's coming first? In your life and in my life. Who's coming first? I don't think it's going to matter who we vote for in November. What's going to matter is this. The church of Jesus Christ has Him in first place. Jesus is the winner. And you and I have an opportunity to live for Him in this time of great challenge. Daniel was living in a time where the culture wanted to assimilate the Jewish people. Just think of the Jews for a moment. Thrown into fire. Tossed into the lion's den. Nazi Germany tried to exterminate them. 
the world pushed them aside. And then finally in 1948, they became a nation. America was the first to say yes. And if we do not continue to support Israel, then how can we expect our God to bless us? And if the church of Jesus Christ will not have Him in first place, oh yeah, I got my bugaboos, you know what they are. I'm waiting for somebody to stand up and cry about abortion in this country. I'm so sick of hearing about violence at every level. Why is there so much violence? Why do we have immorality at every turn? It's not new. What is different is that we don't have the church standing up and saying enough is enough. But we've got to live for God. We've got to do what it is that He's called us to do. Is He first in your life this morning? The people that you live with, the people you work with, the people you play golf with, that we might be able to say, yes, Jesus is the one that can change our lives. So there I was taking my golf shoes off in the parking lot at Wing Park this week, and the dad standing beside me with tears pouring down his face. Praise boy! This is not just theology. It's where we live. It's where we breathe. It's where we wait for the Christ. And I said, sir, I don't know what to do. All I know to do is to pray. And he grabbed hands and I prayed for his boy to be released from homosexuality. To be delivered from alcoholism. Not to have violence rule his life. But to let King Jesus flood his heart with grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves it is the gift of God that no one should boast. Let's stand together this morning, can we? Friends, listen to me this morning. Can you hear the passion in my heart? Can we be the church of Jesus Christ? Can we live for Him because He's coming for us? <laughs> That's the reality. Before we're done here, the trumpet sounding and the clouds opening and Jesus comes for His own. How many are ready? How many? Put up your hands. Come on now. And if you couldn't put up your hand this morning, then don't leave this place without being ready. God has an agenda. The agenda is this. To us who believe, He gives the right the power, the authority to become children, even children in His name. And the Bible says if we His people will pray and humble ourselves and seek His face, then He'll hear from heaven. Then He'll heal our land. And He'll do something wonderful for you and me. This morning I was sitting in the, in the couch over here drinking my tea. I was tired. <laughs> Old guys aren't supposed to preach like this. And a woman came up with a little baby. She says, Dr. Petrie, before this baby was born, I came forward. You prayed for me. And this is the result. <laughs> 
I wish I could take the credit. I can't take the credit. The credit only belongs to God. It's King Jesus that is involved in your life and in my life, right? Our country is not to blame for the directions we're in. It's the church. We don't pray enough. We don't testify enough. We don't serve. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because Jesus gave us everything, didn't He? He gave us everything we have for life. And now we have the opportunity to share back with Him the things that would bring Him the most glory and honor and praise. And the only thing that you and I have of any value to give Him To let Him rule and reign this morning in the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You for this morning. We thank You that You are here. Holy Spirit, You are still welcome in this place. We pray, Holy Spirit, You would come and speak to us this morning. You would fill our hearts with Your praise. We have no one else to turn to but you. And Lord, we're looking forward to that day when the trumpet will sound, the clouds will part, and we will see you face to face in all of your glory. Now, Lord, until that day, help us to serve. Help us to sacrifice. Help us to suffer for the cause of others so that they too might have the opportunity to know about the Jesus who loves them. Now, Lord, we give you glory and honor in our worship this morning in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen.